welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. Hey! <laughs> this is the podcast where four therapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist in Pasadena, California. And I'm Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver, Canada area. And I'm Joanna Boyd, also a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver area. And I'm Chris Boyd, a psychotherapist from the Vancouver area. Right on. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to spring. Spring has sprung. Sure has. Yes. It's a little warmer. The days are a little longer. Yeah. Flowers are blooming. Flowers are blooming. It's it's always it's a nice time of year. I like it here because it's it's nice, not too hot yet, <laughs> and uh, and nice and green, and everything looks pretty nice up there. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's uh, things here are mixed, so some mm-hmm. of the trees just have like baby buds on them, but daffodils are coming up, and I don't know why I said it like that, but it did. And then tulips are uh, gonna follow them shortly after. There's so that's cro- crocuses, crocuses? Yeah. croci, 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 crocuses. Yeah, you know, I don't know. And dewdrops, croci. Oh, dewdrops. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then shortly, so a few weeks from now, should be cherry blossoms. Oh, those are my favorite. Those are a good time. You guys have a bunch of cherry blossoms. Oh, yeah. I know. I know that, I mean, when we would meet in DC, it was oftentimes during cherry blossom bloom season, mm-hmm. right? But I didn't realize you had a, a, a good population of cherry blossoms too. We mm-hmm. do. There's some streets in Vancouver that are just lined with them. And it's cool because the different kinds kind of bloom at different, I don't know. I just feel like the cherry blossom season could last a few weeks. It's pretty great. That is very nice. Mm-hmm. It's funny, one of the highlights going to the symposium, of course, is the the blooms. I think it's only been one or two years we actually got to see them in full bloom. So the cherry blossoms around the basin in DC. So I think Brooke still follows the the uh, cherry blossom, blossom, uh, blossom uh, <laughs> uh, Instagram page. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So they uh, send out posts about how close it is to like peak bloom season. Mm. with like close-up pictures of the cherry blossom buds and um yeah so typically i think the dc ones are in peak bloom maybe two weeks before the vancouver ones yeah i think i think mm-hmm. they bloom a little bit earlier than us but yeah. uh yeah look at it right now it's the dc cherry blossom watch and uh as of two days ago yeah we have a little ways to go ah so is that what the post says? A little ways to go? Yeah, this is the cherry buds are coming along nicely now. Uh, and there's quite a bit of change since last week. Good. But uh, there's still no no blooming. We have something kind of interesting down here in California, particularly in uh, here in Pasadena. Have you guys ever heard of a tree called the jacaranda? No. That sounds fantastic. Can you like imitate it? But does it is it like a gangly tree or is it like a bloomy tree? Can you reenact what this tree would is it <laughs> like a physically fruit make, tree? It's is a it spooky a, tree. It's oh, a, it's a big it? okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I wasn't aware of the body 
posture of the tree necessarily, but it's kind of a medium-sized tree, 20, 20 to 30 feet high. It's uh, it's green most of the time, green leaves. But in in about May of every year, uh, it blooms purple. It's a purple tree. And oftentimes they have these kind of clustered on streets. Um, so you just look down the street and it's just the sea of purple from these trees. And it's really pretty amazing. And then and then the 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 purple falls off and it's like like purple snow on the ground almost. So is the purple a blossom or a leaf? Is it like a purple cherry tree kind of like where it's little little blossoms? Uh yeah, they are purple flowers. They're little purple flowers that come out. So they're uh, yeah, the petals of a flower that fall off, that, that, that bloom for a while. They stick around for a few weeks and they're beautiful. And then uh, they fall to the ground and then you got this nice kind of purple snow. Uh, Joe's showing a picture on her phone. Yeah. They almost look like wisteria. They're, yeah, it's like a big tree. And it's nice, yeah. big purple. Wow. Interesting. Or yes. lilac-y. Yeah. Close up of the bud or the blooms. We love blooms. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's very nice. Very nice. And oh, wisteria, we also have a lot of wisteria down here too. Do they smell they oak? smell really good? Jacarandas? Yeah. I'm not sure, actually. I never have really been taking the time to smell. I haven't stopped to smell the jacaranda. Well, maybe I look at them can do that and okay. report back. Okay, I will do that. Well, they probably, I don't think they've bloomed yet. It'll probably be a month or a little more before they do. But when they do, I'll let you know. And I will definitely give them a sniff. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful when those things happen. So there was, I forget who it was. There was a quote somebody had made about like how kind of one of these reasons Vancouver is so awesome. And it's like, because you use a leaf blower to clean up the cherry blossoms. Like, so... And I, I just thought it was such a, a great visual. I, I really butchered whatever this person said, but the cherry blossoms, because they're so full and they're so pink and all the petals then fall, people literally use their leaf blowers mm. to blow out all of these little pink blossoms from the streets and the sidewalks. Like it's just so much. It's like a carpet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a carpet of pink. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. It's a good time of year to connect with nature and to practice mindfulness. It is. And the smell, for sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sniff your plants, everybody. Big smoke. fans here of beautiful foliage. Yes. Blooms. Yeah. Blooms. Yes. Uh, one little announcement here, uh, and that would be that uh, we here at the Mental Health Boot Camp are very open to uh, addressing any sort of mental health topic that you guys are interested in. So if you have one that we haven't touched on yet, this is actually our 35th episode today. Holy moly. 35 of these, and we've covered a lot of ground, but we certainly have not covered all the ground in mental health. We, there are many more things that we can talk about. Um, but we mostly want to be aware of our listeners. And if there's something that you have any interest in at all, even, even, if it's just a fleeting thought, you know, hey, that might be kind of interesting to hear about. Please do drop us a line at info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com and uh, let us know what your area of interest might be. We'll do our best. We'll either 
talk about it ourselves, or if we feel like we don't have quite the expertise, we'll find someone who can. We'll go like that, right? So yes, we'd like to hear from you. For we sure. love love hearing from you guys. Now mm -hmm. that we're on six of seven continents and most of the states and most of the provinces, we would love to uh, to hear from you guys. So, all righty. With that having been said, who's our ambush tonight? It's me. That's Brooke. All right. Brooke always gives us a doozy. So let's uh, let's dive in with a Brooke ambush, and we'll see where this goes. All right. I'm sending. All right. Okay, it's coming across the border. It's past like the, the customs. <laughs> Getting all ready. I forgot the jingle I had last time, so I'm just dancing. I was like, oh, I hope I just sent it to the right Ryan. <laughs> it's the right Ryan. I got it. What are your... Oh, here's what it is. Everyone ready? This is the ambush. I don't know what this question is. Chris and Joe oh. don't know what the answer is, or the, what the question is. Sorry. Maybe um, not the answer either. Maybe I don't know the answer either. Right. I don't know what the question is. Only Brooke knows until now. Ready? Here we go. What are your go-to resources for clients? Books, blogs, movies, etc. And what resources were impact impactful for you during your growth as a clinician? So resource central here. Going to go to our share our go-to resources, things that we uh, might share with a client regarding some of their issues, right? Is that what yeah, you're thinking of? that is what I'm thinking of. So just general, I know it, it might take a little brainstorming for everyone to get going or thinking about it, but I find often, like we need to be well-read and well-researched and keep up on, on different things. If we point people to different areas or resources that might help them, um, yeah, and I'm sure it happens for you guys where you're in session you're, and then a client says something and you think, oh gosh, this book would be really good for you. Or I think you would really like this book or I found this one to be really good on this topic or, or whatnot. So I thought it would just be good to kind of spit out some ideas of different resources. And, and then the second question, I was just more curious for everyone as they uh, were growing as a clinician, what books, when you read, you were like, oh, wow this is great, or this is really interesting and kind of like fed that curiosity piece of you. So one for me was a, um, a man who mistook his wife for a hat. Yeah. Oh man, tell me more. It's a great name. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it's like a, a series of different little uh, case studies and collections of client stories. Um. This is and a lot of them are more neurological, actually. But in that moment, I was just like engulfed in it. Yeah, the man who mistook his wife for a hat. I thought that was really good. That's it's uh, Oliver Sacks is the author there, and he's a he's a neurologist, right? And he works with a lot of kind of interesting neurological disorders, like uh, like that one where you can't see faces. Um, a kind of aphasia where you're not able to see people's faces and a, a number of different things like a, a person with uh, like a, a, a surgeon with Tourette's who would 
have shaken tremors except when he was doing surgery. It's a different, different stories like that. I, I loved that book, Brooke. Just, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of, yeah, and that was like, oh gosh, I don't even know how long ago that was, 15 to 18, 20 years ago, I think when I read that one. Yes, yes. I actually had that one as a book on tape, like a cassette tape <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Before the, Audible was around? Before Audible was around and listened to it a bunch. And it was great because it was read by the author and Oliver Sacks had this wonderful British accent. It was really, really a lovely, lovely oh, that listen. Would, that would add to the storytelling for sure. Yes. That was great. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. So that's, that's something from your own. But we're thinking of resources yeah. maybe first off for, for clients. clients, for the clients. You know, and often during this podcast, we come up with one or two, depending on what the topic is. Uh, last time I mentioned uh, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways. Like, I just feel like that's a good classic book. It's a little bit dated now in the sense, like, I don't know what year it was written. So um, if you pick up a, a, a paperback of it, uh, don't get discouraged. A lot of really good information in there. But I feel like that's a, a classic go-to and I will be adding links to all of these things in the uh, in the text of the the podcast notes. So if you have if you have Audible or because we're on Audible, if you have uh, iTunes or wherever you look to find the podcast, there's notes included with that, and I'll have links to uh, to how you can find these books on Amazon or somewhere. So let's keep going, keep them coming, everybody. A fun one that jumped out that I read and then I have talked to clients about, and I feel like Chris, you have as well, is the subtle art of not giving a beep. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you have all read that by Mark Manson. It's a good one. I think it's it's not about, you know, it's just choosing what to care about and, you know, has people question kind of their metrics. And I I thought it was funny and it's kind of a, a, yeah. Not your typical recommendation from a therapist, which I think when they kind of look at you a bit weird when you say it, but they usually come back and have good things to say. So, yeah, yeah, I recommend that one actually quite a bit, uh, especially for those who are in their late teens, early 20s, or mid 20s, just trying to find their way, feeling kind of dejected and rudderless. But uh, as you mentioned, yeah, talking about uh, metrics and, and values and a lot of good tidbits and information in there, and, and uh, backed by a lot of good sound psychology. So, uh, yeah, an, an engaging story for sure. So I definitely uh, agree with that, with that one, with that recommendation. Um, Mark Manson, who who also has a podcast, and uh, and his oh. podcast is actually just a little more popular than ours. Bench. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's typically the number one podcast in the United States. So he's uh, really gosh. oh yeah wow yeah, look at that right now way up there. <laughs> So how about this one for a recommendation? Uh, the Book of Awesome from oh, Neil Pesricha. I actually really like The Book of Awesome. I do too. I, so good. I, I reference, it, reference it all the time yeah, in, in yeah. session. Yeah, um, and the story behind that book. I yeah. Do you know the story behind the book, Chris? Maybe not, but I can, I can talk about the book itself. But what's the story behind the book? So apparently uh, he had a crummy year. I might be wrong on this, but as far as I recall, he had a pretty crummy year and then he decided that he didn't want to have a crummy year again. So 
um, when blogging was a bit newer, he decided that every day he was going to blog about something that happened in his day that was awesome. And it was just going to be a short little snippet of whatever that was so he could focus on it. And so it started as a blog and he just blogged all these things and it became more and more popular and then it was published as a book. But it was out of the intention of, I want to change my mindset. Interesting. Yeah. So the, is that the one that's kind of written, it's almost like a parable, it's just in you know, the book of awesome talking about love and, and all of that? Or is that, yeah, how does it go? Yeah, it's like um, the, these smaller moments that, or these moments that are awesome that we kind of appreciate. So a lot of the things that kind of happen day to day, but we don't really focus on them too much. So like waking up and pouring the perfect milk to cereal ratio or turning on the radio and your favorite songs just starting up. You push the elevator button and the door opens right away. Yeah, which is a great one for our office because our elevator is oh, extremely man. slow. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I showed up at the office the same time as Joanna and uh, she pressed the button. I actually walked up what the three flights of stairs, got in the office, was talking to her admin assistant. And Joanna was like <laughs> a minute or two behind. It took forever. Yeah. 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 Um, or the feeling right after you sneeze. That's yeah. one of them in there. Or the cold, or the cold, cold yeah. side of a pillow. Yeah. Was oh, say so good. Yeah. You know, and then he, he expands. So. There's probably, I don't know, anywhere from 150 to 300 words per per page. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Read. I think it started out as a blog, actually. Yeah. So you can it look it up as well. Mm -hmm. Got it. I think I was mistaking that book for another one. So glad that you clarified that. Okay. Uh, I was thinking of the awesome book of love, I think is what it's called, which is more like a shorter, very positive, upbeat, kind of a illustrated book, which is really nice. But I like the book of awesome. Let's go with that. What else do we have? Now, I guess we'll start with, I guess we're kind of going with general books. Um, we could, I guess we can get into specific issues that people deal with as well, but yeah, I'm sure we all have books for different things, mm -hmm. right? So it's just kind of interesting to hear what people like. Um, based on the population I work with, like there are extreme emotions and things. And and then you talk about the parenting behind that, like when you were smaller and what were your parents like and attachment and whatnot. So more recently, I've been uh, talking a lot about a book, Surviving the Borderline Parent. Oh. And so it's a, a book but it's not overwhelming. Like it's almost written like a workbook. Like it's just very tangible. The font's a good size. Uh, here are action steps on how to put boundaries. Here are examples of how that might go or what to expect and normalizing the response. And um, yeah, and so it makes it quite tangible. I also am a big fan of like trauma memoirs. So if clients are looking to normalize their their experience i try and find a a trauma memoir for them mm. yeah i've been recommending uh for people who are just kind of having need some inspiration to kind of endure and move move on like a, like a trauma memoir but really almost any biography that you read is about overcoming adversity of one form or another you know absolutely 
And so sometimes if someone has a particular interest area, you know, might say, hey, let's find out what this prominent person's biography was about, you know, and it's usually about, oh, I had this struggle, I had this struggle, and I was able to overcome. Yeah, uh, Portia de Rossi, Ellen mm -hmm. DeGeneres' wife there, she, she has a memoir called Unbearable Lightness. Mm. And so that was about her eating disorder, mm. actually, and uh, her journey through that. That would be a slight trigger warning for persons with eating disorders because it is somewhat descriptive, but it, I thought that it was pretty well done and, and her journey to acceptance by the end of the book. Yeah. Um, in the past podcast, we've referenced, of course, Victor Frankel and Man's Search oh. for Eating. That was a so many times. So many we're, times. Big, we're big Frankel fans here. Yeah. So, of course, that one kind of chronicles his life experiences, um, living through the Holocaust. He was in for, uh, I think, a few, two different concentration camps over the span of four years. And kind of talk about how he was able to navigate through that and trying to find meaning and purpose. Um, he has a couple of great quotes. You know, between a trigger and a reaction, there's a space, and that space is our freedom to choose a response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. He also talked about everything can be taken away from a man, a woman, um, but one thing, and that's our freedom to choose our response in any given set of circumstances, or sorry, choose our attitude in any given set of circumstances. Um, so he it was kind of neat. Uh, his experiences were horrific, but he grew to become fond of these little moments throughout the day. Um, maybe he was a trained medical doctor, a psychiatrist, I believe. And so he would help people out and, but uh, appreciating the sunset or, you know, those moments of prayer. Um, so, and also just focusing on the people he loved and cared about kind of gave him some strength to get through the, the, the dire situation. So pretty graphic, um, pretty raw, pretty intensive. But then he introduces his form of uh, existential theory. So kind of the search for meaning and purpose is called uh, logotherapy at the end of that book. Yeah. Right on. Very helpful for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. I find that, that questions of meaning and purpose are pretty central to uh, a, lot of, a lot of my clients' issues. If you kind of dig down, like, What's what's beneath that? What's beneath that? What's beneath that? Okay, it goes all the way to meaning and purpose. Yeah, and uh, we can all use some help there. I think. Yeah, the fact that you find meaning and suffering is, you know, quite quite the message. Um, Definitely. What else we got? Are we? I guess are we going topic topic or can I just are we just gonna popcorn it? Popcorn. Popcorn away. Um, uh, when you talked about uh, mistaking that book of awesome, Ryan, with the, the love, when you said love, I thought about the love languages, mm -hmm. um, the five love languages. I think it's Mark Chapman, I believe. Um, Gary Chapman. Gary, Gary Chapman. thank you. I got Mark. I think Mark Manson. <laughs> Everyone's Mark. Um, yeah, great one. Uh, it goes through the five that we can the five love languages so it could be words of affirmation gifts acts of service quality time and physical touch and so you're able to read through it and and see what you can identify and kind of learn about not only romantic relationships but really uh you know parent-child relationships uh, i think there's one specifically for teens 
Um, and it could kind of help you identify how you receive love and also how you might give love and uh, learn about the other people in your life as well. So kind of an interesting read. Mm-hmm. I like that one too, because it's very mm-hmm. user-friendly. Mm-hmm. I found like the, the reading is really easy. It's not, there's not too much jargon in there. Um, and I found that the, the author was really good at like kind of poking fun at really normal circumstances that couples might get into like a husband comes home with flowers for his wife but his wife's still upset because he didn't take the garbage out or empty the dishwasher like because he was trying to show love but that's not how she receives love Mm -hmm. so if he had emptied the dishwasher and knew that then it would have meant more you know Mm -hmm. um but I I feel like when couples read that type of story they chuckle because they can see themselves in that right Mm -hmm. um so I yeah I like that one too just it's so user-friendly and relatable Definitely. I hate to hate to, to name drop here, but I was able to interview him, Gary Chapman, Ooh. several years ago. And I got to say, I mean, I've, I've been able to to talk to some some great folks over the years. Some of them just kind of blend together. But my talk with him was just wonderful. Such a friendly, delightful guy to speak with. He's he's a I think he's a minister. He's a pastor. Um. And it's just got that very warm, you know, hey, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for this. It was just a very sincere, genuine guy. So I recommend it just for that. What a, what a cool dude. Uh, okay. Did you have another one, Joanna? I feel like you might have another, uh, like a list happening. Well, I mean, you can just go around, but I do. Um, I have one for parents I like to recommend is The Whole Brain Child, uh, Dan Siegel. I think it's a go-to, kind of talks about neuroscience and being able to understand where your child is developmentally um, and also ways of being able to connect with them. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think, an easy read and it's not too long. Um, yeah. And I, it, yeah, it's a go-to for sure. So, so it's Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson. Tina Bryson, well, thank you. Who yes. is actually a childhood friend of Ryan, Ryan's as well. Doesn't <laughs> need drop again. Yeah. Not really a childhood friend, but a longtime friend. That's for sure. Longtime friend. Okay, I thought you guys grew up together. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it feels like it. It's been about twenty years that I've known her, and oh, she's okay. a, a good family friend and and uh, a fantastic speaker. If uh, you ever get a chance to see her speak at a, at a parenting conference or something. She's amazing. So, mm-hmm. and prolific. She's written a lot of, they, the two of them have written several books and she wrote, uh, wrote one herself, Bottom Line for Baby. Uh, just came out this last year. Oh, cool. That's great. So yes, good stuff. Whole brain child, like it. And then if we're doing developmentally, um, I read Untangled, which I've, uh, referred to a few people and I thought that was a good one so it's more about uh, raising adolescent females and that's the one that uses the metaphor of uh, a pool so as a, a parent and family members and community members you're the edge of the pool and your teenage daughter is going to hold on to the ledge and then she's going to push off and try and swim in the deep end and she's going to flounder a bit and she's going to try and tough it out and you're going to see her struggle, but when she's tired, she's going to come back and hold on to the ledge. And so you're going to kind of feel this, hey, mom, mom and dad or family or whomever, I need you. And then like, no, I'm good. I'm independent. I'm going to go do my own thing and then come back and hold the ledge. And no, I want to 
not a bad nightmare. Can I sleep in your room? Nope. Oh, no. Can I stay at my friend's house for the next week? Or, you know, just kind of that yo-yo and what to expect from that developmentally. Um, so I found that it was really, yeah, easy to read again and user-friendly and gave some good perspective. So I suggest that to, uh, to parents kind of often right now. Good stuff. I won't, I won't tell you that I interviewed her too. I won't say that. <laughs> Brian, is there many people you haven't interviewed? <laughs> Actually, a lot of people on this list. I, I, I have not, I did not interview Victor Frankel. Cool. <laughs> he passed away several years ago. Um, uh, no, there's a lot of people I haven't interviewed yet. Like Oliver Sacks. Also died a few years ago. Irv Yellum. Irv Yellum. I have been Gabor? able to interview. What's that? Gabor Mate. You haven't. Oh, and no, I have not. And I have not. Canadian content there, Gabor. So Gabor actually has a good one for addictions in the realm of hungry ghosts. Oh, that's a good one. Let's get that's that. a good plug. That's very. He wrote that a while ago, so a lot of people in the fields up here have read that book. Um, and then more for a clinician, there's another fellow up here, Bruce Alexander, and then he wrote The Globalization of Addiction, which had Rat Park. I think we talked about Rat Park maybe in one of the- Oh, yes. Mention it again, real quick here. Yeah, so he had like a, a little rat dude and put the rat in its own cage and had the, the water drip, and then he had the water drip, but with a, a drug in it. and. Obviously, the rat kept, he had to like tap to get the fluid. So he kept tapping the one with the, the drug in it. And then, uh, so the rat eventually was only tapping that one. So successfully addicted to that. And then they put the rat into Rat Park. And Rat Park is like the best place ever for rats. All A whole bunch of rat friends and things to run through and build tunnels and all kinds of things for rat fun to happen. And uh, and then it also had the two little drips, one for water and one with the one with the narcotic in it. And all the rats in Rat Park drank out of the one with the water. And then mm. when they put the addicted rat into Rat Park, it didn't take very long before the rat stopped using the one with the drug and started only tapping the one with the water. And so he started looking at the sense of uh, connection and belonging and community in relation to addiction and how we really need to take a look at that environment and making sure that we're staying connected and, and doing all these other things. So anyways, that one's a bit of a heavier read. It's, it's more of a clinical read for clinicians, but in the realm of Hungry Ghosts, great book by Gabor. So Gabor works on the downtown east side up here in Vancouver, which is, um, quite destitute. So I think we've mentioned it in the podcast before. It's the lowest income postal code for all of Canada. And there's vast numbers of homeless people or persons on assistance and huge addiction population. And he's worked there, I don't even know for how long, like decades. Wow. Um, yeah. And so in his book, he talks of stories of people that he's worked with, uh, the and a little bit of his own addictions um, to different things and the impact of that. And then what's happening neurologically in your brain um, and his theory of what we need to do to overcome that or improve. So I, I think it's a really good addiction book. For sure. 
Um, for more of a clinical type of book, um, there's a couple of trauma books, which are must reads. Um, the Boy Who Has Raised a Dog. Uh, so good. Is, is a must, for, especially for clinicians. And then Besser van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score. I think those two are must reads. I think The um, Body Keeps the Score. A lot of my clients are actually reading that right now. Are they? Yeah. When I first read it, I suggested it to so many people. And then you read more and you kind of forget to mention it sometimes. And um, yeah, a handful of my clients are reading it right now and they're getting a lot of info from it. So yeah, I know they're fantastic reads and this big, two big heavyweights in the trauma field. And then on a lighter note, and by the way, I've got, I, oh, hold on, oh, I'll go throw ahead. in real yeah. quick. Yeah. Uh, body keeps the score doesn't hit with every one of my clients who've oh. had trauma. Just to throw that out there. You may like it, you may not like it. It might land with you, it might not. So, and that's fine. A lot of times when I when I recommend books to clients, by the way, I, I tell them, look, this might not. You might not agree with everything in here, but it's but the purpose of this is to kind of just get your thoughts going. You know, if you disagree strongly with it, great. Let's talk about that. If you uh, if it if it feels gross or whatever it might be, then let's talk about that. But it's it's really just to get uh, books. I believe are, are both kind of educational and they're also kind of uh, ways for people to get unstuck um, and maybe to get their thoughts moving. And so even yeah. even sometimes a book that you're like, oh, man, I disagree with everything this is saying. If that gets you moving, great. I'll, yeah. Let's do it. Worth it. I agree. My preface for it, uh, I let clients know any books I recommend is my, I like metaphors. If you guys haven't noticed thus far, but it's as if you're going to the grocery store, you take what you need and you leave the rest. There we go. There might be one or two things that you take away and that's fine, whatever that might be. And you might read that book again in 10 years and take something different from it. And that's fine too. The, the metaphor I use is eat the meat and throw away the bone. There you go. <laughs> Same sort of idea. Both food related. Good. Yes. Carnivores in my case. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, the other one I was going to mention on a lighter note is uh, called Peak by Anders Ericsson. And Anders is like the expert on expertise and referencing it quite a bit with clients and uh, kind of fascinating. He, he talks about how there's this belief that some people are, are just better at completing certain tasks than others. And, and he looks at the research and he said that oftentimes, yeah, some people can understand things uh, a little quicker, but you can close the gap by deliberate effort. So if you practice and, and uh, have, um, you know, mentor and find out what you need to work on, then you can, you can excel in whatever field you want. So he actually goes back and looks at all these amazing, iconic people and uh, uh, who are people just feel that they're just natural gifted individuals. And he uh, looked into it and realized that no, actually, it was a lot of mentorship from caregivers and a, a tremendous amount of hours practice. So he was actually the one that quoted the 10,000 hours of practice, but deliberate practice though. So it's not just practicing the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's um, trying to find out what you need to focus on most and is uh, honing in on that. So yeah, it's a good message in there. Mm -hmm. So you were saying one last thing about that one is one of the biggest obstacles is getting over the belief that you're not good at something. So if you can actually get through that belief. And I know I've harbored beliefs like that, like I'm not good at math. And 
I'm not sure my mom's listening, but she's like, I'm not a good singer. But uh, a lot of it uh, goes back to uh, early experiences in our lives where you started to develop that perception of yourself. But um, you can kind of break through that and uh, thrive. Wow, it's great. Um, yes, common, common misbelief, misperception out there. Malcolm Gladwell came up with the 10,000 hours of practice to be get, be get expertise. No, Malcolm Gladwell is a very gifted journalist and reporter and you know, he brings things together. It was Eric Anderson, what? Anders Ericsson, <laughs> Anders yeah. Ericsson, not Eric, yes. Anders Ericsson who came up with the, uh, with the concept. It's actually Manson Erickson. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, Mark Erickson. <laughs> oh, let's not confuse this. This list is getting big enough already. Let's go. What else we got here? Um, uh, go ahead, Joe. The highly sensitive person. Yes, that's a good um, one. Elaine Aaron. I had to look up the name here. Essentially, and I have a little blurb here, but it says, yeah, what it means to be a highly sensitive person and how to handle it uh, or how to handle a finely attuned or finely tuned nervous system. Um, so it talks, you know, for people, clients I have who might be sensitive to like a lot of noise or just busy, like just busy days or they've uh, bright lights or different things like that, or they just feel like they're overly sensitive. I recommend this book because um yeah, not necessarily something to be ashamed of. And they're able to kind of learn of how they can use their highly sensitive traits to their advantage and, and learn to thrive kind of having those traits. Um, so that's a great book. The clients I have recommended it to definitely come back and are like, this is me. And, you know, it kind of normalizes a lot of their sensitivities. Um, yeah, versus feels like something you need to change, so. Yeah. Very nice. And on that one, a complimentary one, because um, often, not always, but HSB, highly sensitive persons, um, I think, yeah, more often than not, they have high introversion traits as well, right? So the introvert advantage mm. is a good one to, again, normalize and find all the superpowers with something that like the world is is unfortunately more biased towards extroverts and um, yeah. So it's but there are more the superpowers. But there's more introverts. Yeah. So it's good to read about the the power of introverts, right? Mm -hmm. Another would be Susan Cain's book Quiet, which is the same topic oh, yeah. basically mm -hmm. about uh, about introverts. And and there, gosh, I can't remember if she said it was sixty or seventy percent of us are lean introvert, but. Mm -hmm. uh, but extroverts tend to hold yeah. the higher positions and kind of have the more, more fame, of course. She also has a really good TED Talk. Susan Cain? Yeah. yeah. I forget what the name of that TED Talk was, but um, it's about introversion. <laughs> um, on that, I'll just throw one more into that handful of the sensitivity ones would be the Empath Survival Guide uh, by Judith Orloff um, and other life strategies for sensitive people. So um, oh. I haven't heard of that one. Is yeah. that one just more like a self-help one? Kind of, yeah. Kind of, again, normalizing uh, sensitivities and helping you kind of navigate being more of an yeah, empath and kind of taking in a lot of people's things and setting boundaries and yeah. What was the, what was the one that you said, uh, Brooke, the, the introvert one? The introvert advantage. 
Ah, wow, man. We're gonna have a good list of books here for people. This is gonna be a massive list of books, yes. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you right now, I'm not gonna put them in any particular order, just what we've been talking about. <laughs> we can categorize this and index this, just you gotta like, sweep through. Good luck, Google them, yeah. Um, kind of switching to Trauma Land. Um, a book I found that was really impactful uh, was Know My Name mm. by Chanel Miller. I don't know if other people have heard of this. So she was the victim in the Brock Turner case. Brock Turner was the young male athlete in the States. Um, and there was a sexual assault case against him. So Chanel Miller was the victim and throughout the case, her, her identity was protected. So hence the name of her book. So it was her experience of everything that had happened. Um, again, a little, little hard to choke down a bit, but it is the reality of what people experience. And I think it's important to normalize that experience as it goes along, that there is gonna be a roller coaster of emotion and she explains that really well in a firsthand experience. So. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. Very nice. I, I've got a growing list going here. Can I, I'm going to share a few of yes. these. That's all right. You haven't even, you've just been like writing the whole time. I'm so sorry. Go, No, go, go. I mean, I've been, yeah, I've been writing. It's just, I mean, otherwise it would take me forever. Okay. Um, this is, I, I'm going to go ahead and jump to one of the more formative books or a couple of the formative books for me when I was in graduate school. And the, at the top, a book that I've probably reread five or six times as a therapist is uh, The Gift of Therapy by Irvin Yalom. So good. It is a, if you've been in therapy or if you are a therapist, it's a must read, really, or if you're interested in therapy, because it's it's so great. He, he breaks it down. There's like 80 or 90 chapters because they're just a page or two long. And it's just these little points of like, you know, create a new therapy for each client or um, you know, little ideas that he has about little like tips from this wise, I, I call him the, the grandfather of psychotherapy. Like he's, he's just got the, all this wisdom and he writes so eloquently. I mm -hmm. uh, could not recommend that book highly, more highly. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Uh, a book. I have to admit a conflict of interest because I, I know this person and was able to, to give her an endorsement for this book. But uh, a woman by the name of Anna Borges wrote a book called The More or Less Definitive Guide to Self-Care. Uh, just came out a couple of years ago. And she, she used to write for BuzzFeed and then for Self. She's not a therapist, but she was a health uh, writer and very highly informed. I think she's going to become a therapist at some point. Um, but she just breaks down just dozens, if not hundreds, of little self-care tips that people can do. Um, some, some that you might expect, breathing and that sort of thing, but some that are uh, counterintuitive or, or things you wouldn't really think of. Very inventive, creative things. I mean, she's a BuzzFeed writer. You got to think. You know, they're, they're thinking uh, in a very uh, creative and uh, maybe off the beaten path sort of way. It's a great book. Highly recommend that for someone who's just thinking about basic self-care habits. And speaking of habits, Atomic Habits is a book that I recommend to people often. And this is a book um, 
James Clear is the author and Atomic Habits is about how to develop, uh, how to kind of change your behavior in these small ways, atomic meaning small. So these small little changes that you can make to your routine. He talks about like, we don't really change, uh, we have to change our process of things. We don't just say, I'm gonna, oh, I need to eat better now. You know, I need to make better health choices. He talks about, no, you have to have that as part of your process. You're going to plan out what your meal is, or you're going to only shop in certain parts of the store and you're going to just make that a part of your regular routine. And that's how these changes occur. It's a fascinating book if you haven't taken a look at it before. I like that one. That is a good one, yeah. Have you read that, Chris? I have, yeah. It's it really good, very practical, as you mentioned. Yes. Uh, another book that I, I like because I, I've gotten kind of interested in, in Stoic philosophy a little bit in the last few years. I mean, it's been don't, trending. Don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a emotional person and I'm big on, on emotion, but I, I know that for a lot of the people I work with and, and I do work with a lot of men, um, oftentimes they're trying to find ways to manage and, and contain emotion, make, make emotion their friend instead of their enemy. And uh, the book is called The Obstacle is the Way uh, by Ryan Holiday. And it's a, a really nice kind of summation of, of Stoic theory and, uh, and put into practical terms. And it really helps people to, uh, to, uh, to, to know how to kind of choose when emotions kind of be, take the driver's seat and when logic and reason is going to take the driver's seat. It's a very nice summary of, uh, of Stoicism. Brooke, you mentioned a book about uh, about borderline parent, right? Yeah, surviving the borderline parent. Surviving the borderline parent. There's a great book that I used to recommend, and, and I think it's still very pertinent. It's just called Narcissistic Families. Um, I think it's Pressman and Pressman are the authors, and that's just about like if you grew up in a family where one or both of your parents were narcissists. What that can do, what what kind of impact that can have on you, and what you can do about it. Um, great read. I've, I've for for a period of time there, I was working with people who had very narcissistic parents. It seems like, and they found a lot of uh, a lot of help from that book. Uh, okay, I'll pause there. Give someone else a chance. I've got a few others, but I'll I'll save them for later. Great list. Yeah. It's so good, right? Like it takes a minute when you're like, oh, books. But once we start talking about the books, it's like this and this and this and this and this. And this is a massive list we're growing. We're got growing. Well, here. I feel like really we should just have a a digital library of titles under different areas that we kind of vet books for each other. Like, hey, this is what I rate them and why. And our own little book inventory, I think, would be really helpful as clinicians. And maybe for special listeners. Yes, I like that. That's great. Mm -hmm. Donate to our Patreon page and you can get access to, well, we don't have a Patreon page, so. You don't, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll develop that. It'll be the mental health boot camp book list. Yeah. Oh boy. Don't go there now because I haven't bought that yet. <laughs> doesn't exist yet doesn't exist okay let's keep going a another one i've referenced quite a bit um is, is i think it's just an audibles actually called take control of your life by mel robbins 
So Mel Robbins, I think she's a professional life coach, uh, a big fan of therapy. Um, I can't remember what other education she has, but I, you know, I got to give her credit. Her way of conveying her ideas is crisp and concise and practical. And the idea that she approaches, how she approaches fear, as well as um, some ways to, um, to, to respond to it and kind of get your life back on track, I thought was very helpful. Um, so she talked a lot about defense mechanisms and I thought she did a good job of highlighting some really common ones. So uh, yeah, I'll give Mel Robbins a shout out. So easy read, very engaging. Uh, she's a pro. Um, yeah, easy to listen to. And then uh, speaking of Audible, um, I listened to it on Audible. Maybe that's why I didn't stand out. I'm surprised I didn't share this earlier. Chris, I think you've listened to it. And Ryan, you've listened to it. Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Darn yes. good book. Joanna, I don't book. know if you've got there yet, but. I have not. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Yeah, we just, um, it's very Malcolm Glad Gladwell-esque, I guess, but yeah, what, what, a, what a fantastic read. Highly recommend Lost, that one. Lost Connections is about the the idea that, um, I mean, he, he kind of has the, the theme of the story is depression is not just about brain chemistry. And he talks about the many different factors that go into depression and the many, many different ways that people can treat depression that are not strictly just limited to, to medication. He says that, you know, medication can be helpful sometimes, but, but we've kind of gotten to a place in society where people feel depressed and they just go to their MD, just get a, uh, an SSRI depression medication, and then that's it. And oftentimes the problems don't really resolve because there are difficulties in their family, difficulties from their history, from their past, difficulties in society that uh, perpetuate these depressive symptoms. And we need to take a more comprehensive look at what's causing depression in order to really work to treat it. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. That is a fair summary, yeah. Um, it's great. I wouldn't mind just paying attention to the time. Ryan, if you wanna give the rest of your list, but I'm curious if there's anyone else of like you developing as a clinician, if there was a book that read that you read You've shared yours. I wonder if Joanna or Chris has one or two as well, just kind of pivotal throughout your yeah development as a clinician where you read it and something just struck, you know? Uh, Chris mentioned it already. The boy who was raised by a dog was a big one for me, just in trauma work that I do. I thought that was, yeah, just fascinating. And I think um, really got me into trauma work, I think. Um, I just wanted to give a quick, the power of now for people who are looking into mindfulness, <laughs> Eckhart Tolle, I feel like that's a, a big that one, good. but share it now. Yeah. Power of now. Power of now. Yes. But, um, yeah, for me, uh, I'm for sure. Um, the ones I've mentioned already, but Dan Siegel too, uh, as a clinician, um, yeah. His first book, Mindsight, was uh, I felt was a bit of a game changer. Um, yeah, and then the work of Scott Miller. I don't know how I read his books a while ago, but just as uh, you know, just the important elements and qualities of therapy. I thought that was interesting, intriguing. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, another um, trauma one from earlier on, I don't know if you've all read it, but A Child Called It, Dave Peltzer. Pretty sure that's the author. Uh, again, like just horrendous trauma history there. And so there's a series of books that he's written uh, of his, his experience, but not so much from a clinician perspective, like it's more of a memoir book, but um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. But I agree, Dan Siegel was big. Lisa Ferenc's Letting Go of Self-Destructive Behaviors was big for me, mm -hmm. um, uh, newer. But I think before I was a lot of Oliver Sacks and Irving Ulome and yeah, yeah, Love's Executioner. Yeah, and before letting, uh, you're just trying to get Rhonda right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Donald Meichenbaum. We met him at the symposium. Yeah. Yes. Very, very, very practical. He's like one of the founding fathers of cognitive behavioral therapy, modern father uh, CBT, and uh, but yeah, very, very straightforward. And what did he write? Well, he read uh, a book on PTSD recently. He wrote a book? Mike and Bob did? On, on PTSD, well, yeah. Mike and Bob also has, uh, what is it called? It's something handbook. So I actually have two copies because one copy I like dropped a bunch of coffee on. And so it's like waterlogged. So then I bought a second one, but I think those went missing. So I think somebody maybe took them from my office. But he's so funny, Mike and Bob. So yeah. in his presentation, he uh, he's promoting this book and he, it's a very like practical skills-based approach, which is interesting because when you watch Mike and Bob in his uh, counseling videos that he shows in these workshops, it's not like a, a, a structured skills-based approach in session. Like yeah. it is more talk therapy uh, with like, he has a, a sense of what he's doing and, and a structure there. But he um, he made the joke that, <laughs> he was getting up in ages and he was going to write out, he was writing out his will and his kids asked what he was going to leave them. And he said he was leaving them a copy of his book because all of life's problems could be solved through this book. So his index has like, what do you do if you have nightmares? Turn to page 67. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm grieving the loss of you. Turn to page 84. Here's yeah. how you get through it. So it was like all of his wisdom in one handbook. Yeah. He's called it the roadmap to resilience was that book yeah he launched it maybe four or five years ago but very practical very very practical. like this is what you're doing here are the behavioral strategies here you go boom do this i think very that nice. was i would think that was seven years didn't we meet him in anaheim that was like seven years ago i have his signed book or like whenever we, we met him in dc and then again in anaheim yeah, because that was yeah seven years ago this past November. So anyways, it's been out for a while. It's really cool to meet him. Ryan. Interviewed him. Okay. Next. <laughs> I think Brooke sent him some pictures and a, oh, yeah. a t-shirt or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Oh, let me blast through my books here and then we'll wrap up because okay. I've got to like I gotta like, spend several hours putting uh fighting these books and linking to them. Okay. No, this, we do have quite a resource list here. This is pretty incredible. Good question, Brooke. Um, okay, general general book for people kind of wanting like, what am I what am I here for? What am I doing in life? Kind of along the lines of uh, of Viktor Frankl. I I like to recommend the book The Road Less Traveled to folks. Again, it's not a, a book that everyone likes, but uh, 
It was very popular, like in the '90s. Um, just a general look at, you know, what is what's life all about, and what am I here for? Can I uh, interject real quick? Go ahead. Is it a little like same vibe as Tuesdays with Maury? Not really. I don't. I actually didn't read Tuesdays with Maury. I've heard about it, but Mitch Robo Album. Right. Right. Roadless Traveled is more of like, okay, here are kind of the the general ideas of what we're what we're supposed to be about in life, and let's uh, let's aim towards that. Hmm. Um, not much of a story; it's just kind of principles, really, of living. Hmm. So Scott Peck, good guy. Um, on the other hand, a very very practical book that I recommend to people who are like who come in and they're highly anxious and they're like. What am I supposed to do with this? Give me tools right now. I'll say, go over to our local bookstore, Vromans, and pick up the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook. Oh my gosh, how did we miss that this whole time? Well, we didn't, I got it. Just I used gotcha. it today, so good. Yes, it is a great book, for very yeah. practical advice. It's both educational and reflective. People write things in there about you know their own experience and it really helps them to kind of manage their anxiety. You can often buy it at Costco. Really? Wow, that's great. I don't know if it's there right now, but I think because, uh, you know, there's always new new editions coming out. One of the times I bought mine at Costco. <laughs> great. All right. Well, wherever you need to get it, Anxiety and Phobia Workbook, very popular. I think oftentimes the number one anxiety book on, uh, great. on the list. Looks intimidating, but don't be intimidated. No, it's like a spiral bound book. You'd kind of flip through it, pick the exercises you want to do and it can be very helpful. Um, Mindset by Carol Dweck is a fantastic mm -hmm. book. Uh, we've spoken somewhat about mindset already here, but you know, Carol is the one who kind of put the whole idea in place of uh, if it's important to have a growth mindset rather, rather than a fixed mindset, you know, when you uh, encounter an obstacle, Instead of thinking, I'm no good at that, thinking, okay, this is a challenge. What do I need to do to overcome it? And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not just born with a set of, uh, of talents that, that can't be developed. We can grow our skills, right? So that's a great one. Um, another one that's kind of along the lines of, of the Anders Ericsson a little bit is, is a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport which is about being able to, it's kind of like getting into the flow. Like how do you just focus and go deep into your work and you know, work with, uh, with all of your attention, all of your focus and really get some of the work done. It's really a good one for people who are working on like creative enterprises or, or, or trying to be productive. Finally, on this part, one other section to do here. Uh, one of the books that was both foundational and and it's another one that I've reread a few times in my life. Um, it's a book called Being and Loving by a, uh, a local psychologist down here by the name of Althea Horner. And it is, I feel like, one of the most just wide reaching, like, here's, here's what it means to be and love. Like, that's what she kind of was talking about. Like, who are you as a person and how do you relate to other people? And it kind of comes from uh, like a second dynamic object relations theory, like how we how we were as kids, how we bonded with our caregivers says a lot about how we uh, attach to people in our adulthood. 
And if we if there are problems there, how can we work on that? It's kind of a mix between kind of a self-help book and like a, a psych text in some ways. But if you're really interested in in kind of depth psychology, going deeper into uh, into who you are as a person and into yourself, then that's a it's a great book to start with. Okay, I know I'm monopolizing the time, but I'm going to run through really quickly my couples books because sometimes I have couples and I have four books that I always recommend to couples. And I think the combination of these four really tackles a lot of the issues that couples deal with. All right. What are they? You ready? Ready. Number one. Actually, the number one people I ask, the book I ask people to read is John Gottman's uh, Seven Principles for Effective Marriage. I was wondering about that. I was like, ooh, what authors are going to be on your list? Is it the Gottmans? Are they going to be left out? What's going to happen? Gottmans are in there. And I start with the Gottmans because they're the most scientific approach. They, they, you know, it's all research and they have their, their love lab or the relationship lab. You should tell the, the listeners about the love lab. It's quite interesting. The Gottmans. The Gottmans. So, so John Gottman uh, and his wife, they both wrote, co-wrote the book, um, have a, a lab at the University of Washington. They have a lab, which is actually an apartment um, associated with the University of Washington, where the, they have couples go into this for like a weekend and they spend a weekend in this apartment. And they're also kind of hooked up with heart monitors and respiration monitors and, uh, and there's cameras everywhere in this place, but they're told to just kind of <laughs> go into this apartment and just kind of hang out for the weekend and do your thing and maybe have some, some conversations about, uh, about your relationship. And while they're doing that, after, you know, after a little bit of that initial effect of people being self-conscious that they're being watched and monitored the whole time, people actually have conversations, deepening conversations about the relationship. And they are, you know, the Gottmans are looking at their heart rate. They're looking at their breathing. They're looking at, you know, how much they're sweating. They're looking at everything about their physiology and also about the words they're using and how their body language is. And they're analyzing all of that. And Gottman says that after looking at some of that data, he can predict with 90% accuracy whether or not a uh, couple is going to get divorced, which is pretty incredible. So it's a very scientific approach. And they take a look at all the, the different factors. And one of the things they talk about are the, the one of the more popular ideas that Gottman's introduced is the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is if there are uh, there these certain elements in a relationship, uh, what are they? Criticism, stonewalling, um, belligerence. What, what, what are these? Do you guys remember the other one? Uh, Contempt. Yeah. That. Yeah, I believe, it, I believe that's it. The, uh, anyway, the, the Gottmans are great. It's a very scientific approach. Very helpful. I start with them. Next, Harville Hendricks, Getting the Love You Want. That is a book that talks about it's, this idea of imago therapy, talking about how uh, what you witnessed as a child, looking at your parents' relationship, um, kind of was kind of a role model, and kind of and how you relate to your partner in adulthood has uh, is either kind of re, like working through some of the issues that your parents had sometimes, or trying to replicate what your parents had. And it just, just kind of ties that whole parent uh, childhood experience of, of relationships to adult experience of relationships. It's a 
very fascinating book. Have you guys read that at all? Or this no, Marvel? I haven't. But... Oh, you guys. It hasn't really come up like in a case consult either or anything like that. Yeah, no, not familiar. Guys, I recommend Hendrix. It might, again, it might be one that you don't agree with, but it really raises some interesting questions. Next on the list, Sue Johnson. Mm. Uh, Hold Me Tight. Yeah. This whole idea of emotion-focused therapy and really focusing on what are the underlying emotions in the relationship. And if we look at those, then maybe we can like bypass some of the conflicts that people have. We learn to have empathy for one another and really bond on this emotional level and learn to, to work through attachment problems in relationships. So Sue Johnson, Hold Me Tight is... Uh, that's a winner. She's she's a big big shot in the field. And finally, the last book we're going to mention, I think the 150th book we're going to mention here, uh, is David Snarch, Passionate Marriage. Uh, that's a book that I I like a lot. It's, some people find it a little controversial. His his whole approach is about differentiation. He says that for a lot of couples, their problem isn't that they're too distant it's actually that they're too kind of emotionally enmeshed with one another and that uh what they really need to do in order to find passion again in their marriage is to become differentiated which means kind of find yourself again he talks about how couples who are you know when when you're dating it's it's me and you uh when you're married it's we and you kind of people if people kind of lose their identity in the marriage and kind of form this amoeba of we-ness that's no longer exciting. That's no longer, <laughs> no longer thrilling. Chris, you liked that term, weeness, didn't you? An amoeba of weeness. That's, that's good. <laughs> An amoeba of weeness. Yes. That's going to be your like profile tagline for like everything for the that's rest it. of your life. An amoeba of weeness. Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, and so he talks about how to maintain a sense of self while being in a relationship, have, have your own identity uh, and also be with the other. He also talks about how it's more exciting sexually to be with someone who is an other instead of someone who's just like me, you know, if you're, if you're, if there's no otherness there, then there's, uh, there's not that much excitement. So that's David Snarch. Whew. Guys. It's a good list. So many books. And there's so many more, right? Like, it's just, I can only imagine being a client trying to figure out which book to read on what, you know? Like it, yeah, yeah. I think it's so important for us to talk about these things, to vet the, the information. Granted, we all come with our own biases of what we're reading and what we like or don't like and what we're drawn to, what we think is good or not so good. And but we are hey. educated in the realm, you know, so, and we read a lot. So if there's favorites in certain areas, I think uh, people might find that helpful. And if, and we've just thrown out a ton of books to you guys, but if you're interested in this podcast, you probably have a bunch of favorite books of your own. Um, probably some self-help books, some mental health books that you've read. So please come to our Facebook page at Mental Health Bootcamp Facebook um and uh put your put your recommendations uh under this episode you know what yeah. books do you think are are interesting for you 
Or if you have questions, if there's a, a certain topic you'd like to know if we have uh, any any expertise or have any book recommendations, then write to us at info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com or just message us at, at our Facebook and we'll see if we can help. For sure. I feel like there's many, many, many more books that we would be able to recommend. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's it. Like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, or Audible, or Spotify, or YouTube. Send your questions to info at mentalhoodbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two or 20. And we will say goodnight for now. we got some reading to do. Good night, everybody. Bye, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye.